Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 15, if you have your Bibles open there with me. Genesis 15. And the title of our Bible study is, Our God is Our Shield and Great Reward. It's one of those encouraging passages there as God comes to Abram and tells him, don't be afraid in verse 1. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abram was spoken to back in Genesis 12. Well, you want to go there with me in Genesis 12? A lot has happened since this call comes to this pagan man. In verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and from your kindred, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. And I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant. And a lot has happened just since this introduction of God to Abram. Remember, Abram obeys and he leaves. And after he leaves, a famine hits. And he takes a detour to Egypt where he tells his wife to lie. And yet God puts fear in Pharaoh and rescues Abram. Then they they go out and he has an issue with Lot and the servants of Lot. But Abram doesn't want to have an issue with this family. So he gives Lot the opportunity and yields to him. Lot chooses the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, gets himself in trouble. Uh, A war breaks out and now Abram becomes a man of war, literally. He had over 300 people that he armed and he went to rescue Lot. He asked now to get involved in Lot's problems. And Lot becomes a big problem for Abram. I'm sure Abram was emotionally and physically exhausted by the time we come to chapter 15. He didn't anticipate, I believe, the real warfare that awaited him on this journey of faith. And again, let's be clear here, the warfare for Abram was real hand-to-hand combat. And I don't think he anticipated it. We don't often associate great steps of faith with big steps of warfare. And for us, it wouldn't be hand-to-hand as much as it would be spiritual. There is a spiritual battle with every step of faith. And living in the will of God does not come without a fight. As it's been said, earth is a battleground and not a playground. And I'm sure that you've heard this said and maybe even enjoyed it, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's such a pillow to lay your head on. But as real as that truth is, the devil hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. He wants to distract you and disrupt you and ultimately destroy you. He wants you as a follower of Christ as weak, as feeble, and as ineffective as he can get you. I mean, whether it's completely torn out or if you give him 5%, you give him 10%, he wants to take you out. He doesn't want you relying upon the Lord. 
He doesn't want you fellowshipping with other believers. He doesn't want you reading your Bible daily and praying. He doesn't want you loving one another and reaching out with the gospel. He wants your marriages ruined. He wants your kids shattered. And he'll take you as miserable and as depressed as he can get. Anything and everything, but growing strongly spiritually. And it's a reminder today as we jump into chapter 15, as Abram just finishes warfare, it won't be his last. And it won't be the last of associating the faithfulness of God's people with warfare. I mean, the whole book of Joshua in taking the land is one of warfare and battles. And we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. Would you hold your place here and turn over to Ephesians chapter 6? I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. You can read it to you from your, you can read it from your version, but I want to read it from a different perspective. Ephesians chapter 6, jot it down in verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. By the way, after the battle, here Abram in chapter 15 is standing firm. He's probably a little weak-kneed, as you and I are often, but he's standing firm. And that's the word that Paul gives to the Ephesian believers. Notice verse 14. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Church, you're involved and engaged in a real spiritual war, a very serious battle. And I want you to think back just for a moment to before you were born again, if you have that testimony. There wasn't a lot of resistance and a lot of battle going after you when you weren't saved because you were cooperating with the devil. He's not going to fight himself. You were living for this world, living in this world, cooperating with the evil of this world, just fully engaged in it. You were no threat and no danger to his plans. But when you were born again, you chose sides. For Abram, the call in chapter 12 was his choice of sides. No longer living in idolatry and paganism. No longer living in the life that he had apart from God. He rose to the occasion and he chose sides. And by choosing sides, both Abram and you and me declared war. You could say very real, in a very real way, you can say, I declare war in the spiritual realm. 
as I stand fast as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Jot it down in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. It says again in the New Living Translation, fight the good fight for the true faith and hold tightly to eternal life, which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Notice Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he says, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. It is a good fight. Just remember, church, to fight the right enemy. We have a real bona fide enemy, and it's not other believers. And many times it's not who you think at all. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle in the spiritual realm. Now, verse 1 of chapter 15, with that in mind, fresh off a real war, verse 1, after these things, what things? Everything we just shared. Rescuing Lot, bringing him back safely. At this moment, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And I would say this is a great follow-up to any episode of spiritual warfare. Don't be afraid, Abram. Don't be afraid. The comforting promise of God. Notice what he says. He says, number one, I am your shield, which speaks of protection. Or as we learn in Ephesians, protecting us from the fiery darts or the arrows of the enemy. Abram, I'm going to protect you. And I think that God, speaking to Abram here, you know, he didn't say good job with war. I'm glad you got Lot back. You're such a great man of faith and a great man of integrity. And he says, no, Abram, I want you to know I'm your protector. Even the victory you just enjoyed was because of my protection in your life. I'm your protector. I'm your shield. Abram, you can trust me. You can trust me. Don't lean on anyone or anything but me on this journey of faith. Again, jot it down in Isaiah 41.10. This is repeated over and over again. The Bible says, fear not, for I am with you. And be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. And I think God would be saying that to many of you today. I am your shield. And secondly, he says, I'm your exceedingly great reward. Remember, Abram just came back with all the spoils of war. And what did he do? He didn't keep them all. He participated in the tithe. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Before the law is ever established, Abram did not keep all of the spoils. And it's interesting to me that God would come to him and say, you know, not only am I going to protect you, Abram, on this journey of faith, but I'm also going to provide for you. It's the same promises that we have in Christ. God is our protection, and he's also our provision. God himself will be Abram's reward even as he himself will be your reward. All of your needs are and will be met according to your riches in Christ Jesus. God has promised to provide all of your needs. That's an important truth to hold on to as we continue to go forward in our journey journey of faith in a very unsettled world that we're in right now. 
very unsettled globally, economically. It seems like every area of life that we have depended upon for stability and safety and encouragement has been taken away from us or will be taken away from us. And then we're standing there weak need and you can almost hear God say, don't be afraid church. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward because God owns it all and he'll provide all that you need. Now, this is the first time, you Bible students, that the, in the Bible that the word of the Lord, notice in verse one, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh or Jehovah is mentioned. And it's also the first time the word vision is mentioned, the word shield is mentioned, and the word reward are used. It's the first time that the scripture uses the great I am statement as well. And notice how Abram responds in verse two. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That's an interesting response to God who says, I'm going to provide, I'm going to protect you and provide everything you need. And then Abram goes, well, what are you going to give for me? I'm the last generation. Well, what, do you, what, what is your provision for me? That's an interesting response, but I love his honesty. I love his childlike faith as a grown, successful man. He says, what are you going to give me? He's getting older, and how will the promise be fulfilled? He, he received the promise from God, but then as he's assessing it all, he's like, how's it going to be fulfilled? I just can't see, looking at my body, looking at my life, looking at what you've given. I just don't see how you could possibly do this, God. Verse 3, Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So God is promising him a son in his old age. Now the custom of the day dictated that the servant of the house would get the estate if there was no male heir. And Abram, no doubt, is thinking, hey, my name is exalted father, but I have no child, no son. Where's my protection? Where's my provision? And I think those questions are familiar in our own walk of faith. Where's my protection, God, when we're in a vulnerable place? Where's my provision, God, when we are in a vulnerable financial place? Or maybe a promise has been given and it hasn't been fulfilled, and we're in a place of waiting. And to me, it's encouraging that God listened and received Abram's concerns. He wasn't an angry dad saying, just take my promise and deal with it. But he's dialoguing. Remember, prayer is a two-way street with God. It's both listening and talking. Talking and listening. And one way to facilitate that is to pray through the scriptures. Have a Bible open, praying through the scriptures, talking, listening. And God gives Abram a direct and comforting answer in verse 5. And he brings him outside. So he takes him outside of his tent, brings him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. And count the stars if you are able to number them. Now, just pause there for a second. A little bit of sense of humor uh, with God, I think. So go ahead and look up and just start. I don't know if you've ever tried to start counting the stars, but you lose count somewhere along the way. It's like one, two, three, four, 25. Oh, I'm, which one am I on again? And he, like, if you could possibly count the stars. And, and he's bringing Abram to a place where he, in a very easy, simple way, saying this. Abram, I'm God and you are not. 
Remember the great difficulty that Job went through. Job went through significant loss, significant grief. He wasn't encouraged by his friends. Things were even more difficult when his friends come by. He's battling in the physical realm with all that he's facing, all that he's going through. His wife has been taken out. She too is grieving. Not a great encouragement to him. She's not even a great encouragement to herself. And the whole book of Job is walking through the argumentations and the wrestlings. I mean, it can be a very discouraging book, but it can also be a very affirming book, as any of you that have gone through great difficulties can relate to many of the episodes in the life of Job. Now, I want you to turn over to Job with me toward the end. I'm going to find it with, find it with you. As we come to the end of the saga with Job, and it ends with Job talking to God. Very similar here with Abram and God. And when you get to Job, go to chapter 40, 40. And let's just face it, when we're ministering to people, most likely we're going to be in the realm, especially those that are grieving and hurting and just going through stuff, we're, we're going to be in the realm of comforting them. We're going to be in the realm, I mean, if we had Job's story and Job was here today, most of you, you would seek him out, give him a big hug, take him out for a cup of coffee and say, Job, it's going to be okay, bro. I'm here with you. I'm going to pray with you. I'll be your prayer partner. We'll get through this together. I'm sorry your friends were so discouraging to you. I'm sorry for your great loss. I mean, we're just going to step in, I think, with empathy, with sympathy, with care and concern, and that would be a perfectly good response. And please, church, be more empathetic, be more sympathetic, uh, walk alongside people, carry and lift up one another's burdens. Yes, yes, yes. But you know, that's not what God did with Job. Here's, here's God's response in chapter 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, it's going to be okay, Job. Things are going to be just fine. No, that's not what the Bible says. You know, do you have your Bibles open there? What does he say? Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? A paraphrase. Job, do you really think you know better than me? Now, doesn't sound super comforting, doesn't it? And he just goes chapter after chapter. He says, hey, look. Um, Job says, I'm vile. How can I answer? Verse 4. I lay my hand over my mouth. Verse 6. And then... Um, the Lord answers Job out of a whirlwind. So there's all kinds of dramatic uh, effect there from God. And he says, okay, Job, prepare yourself like a man. Stand up. I'll question you, and you're going to answer me. And verse after verse after verse after verse is God saying in a very paraphrased way, Job, have you forgotten that I am God and you are not? And that's what God's doing with Abram here. And you can expect God to do that with you as well. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. He is the God who cares and loves. I mean, God has demonstrated his love toward us, and yet when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, he has made it evident and clear of his great love for us. But there are those times and they're probably far more than we recognize, where God has the authority and knows what's best for us. And he comes to us and says, have you forgotten that I'm God? And can't you just say, yes, Lord, I have forgotten. Yes, it was a lapse of 
My, the emotion got, got me and I forgot. The pain got me and I forgot. The hurt got me and I forgot. The anger got me and I forgot. All the different voices of bad counsel got to me and I forgot. There's a thousand different ways that we forget, but God might be inviting you out of the tent. And I think the tent here represents a place of comfort and protection, a place where as Abram is living life in his life of faith, he had a covering over him, a covering where he would rest at night, where he would live his life, the regular everyday life that you and I have. God says, I want you to step out of your everyday life and I want you to look up and if you can, go ahead and number the stars. Count them all. And yet God knows you're not going to be able to do that. And what does he say? If you're able to number them, he says at the end of verse 5, so shall your descendants be. He says, I'm not just giving you a son, but you'll have descendants connected to you more than you can number. Don't forget that I am God. He says now in verse 6, one of the most epic verses in all the Bible. I want you to mark it, circle it, highlight it. It says, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is the root in the scriptures of a doctrine that we know as justification by faith. Justification by faith. If that is a doctrine you want to study more on, I, I have Bible studies through when we went through the book of Romans that you can spend more time on looking at justification, glorification, sanctification. We looked at these doctrines in depth one at a time. It's mentioned again in the new covenant in Romans chapter four, Galatians chapter three, and James chapter two. This is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. The very essence of your relationship with God. There is a promise so huge and a situation so desperate. And Abram's response was not to try to count all of the stars. Some of you, that would be your response. Okay, God, I will start counting. And I will get back to you when I am satisfactory counted every single star that I can find. He doesn't do that. His response to the promise of God, to calling out of his tent, out of the regularity of his life, out of the comfort and ease, out into the wide open expanse, his response was belief. And it was at that moment where the connection between God and Abram really was solidified because at this moment it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the first time the word believe is used in the scriptures. The Hebrew word actually means amen, or it shall be so. To believe means to rest upon, to lean upon, to be sure of, to have complete and full confidence in. And when God spoke to say that Abram's seed would number as the stars of the sky, Abram's heart swelled with praise and thanksgiving to God, as one commentator puts it. His heart said, amen, let it be so. And Abram rested upon and leaned upon God's promises. He was sure of God's promise. He exercised the complete and full confidence in God's promise. Now, understand when we're using these words, it doesn't mean perfect. It means as much as he possibly could in the moment. Because we know he's going to go up and down in his faith. So when you hear this, you go, okay, rested, leaned, full, confident, complete, 
Understand as it applied in your life, it's for the moment. It's what you have in the moment. And, and you know as well as I do, I can breathe in faith and breathe out doubt in the moment. And God builds upon that confidence that you respond to. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ even now, in this moment, if you believe in the promise of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. I mean, in order to believe that, you have to acknowledge that you have sinned. I don't understand why it becomes such an offensive thing for you to recognize the failures of your life. It is offensive, I understand that. But everyone that's sitting in this room has to come to terms with the failures of your life, the failures of my life, the mistakes that I've made, the mistakes that I make. And while we're quick to admit that we have failed and we've made mistakes, it's not a very far leap, friend, to go from mistake to sin. It's a very short bridge. The two words are very similar. Sin has a greater weight to it. Because sin is not defined by someone's standard of right and wrong. Sin is defined by God. He is our righteousness. He is our creator. He is who we're accountable to. So that when we mention some everyday mistake, when it is measured by God, it's not some everyday mistake. You could define it as, I have failed a most holy and righteous God. Now I know, you know, there's all kinds of discussions and and uh, Twitter feeds and things that, it's like, well, you define God and he's mythology and you, like, that, that's all just smoke and mirrors to step away from the reality that when you put your head on the pillow at night, you know. You maybe have pushed it away, you may have covered it, you may even be under the influence of alcohol or drugs right now trying to run away from the reality of your sin. But you don't need some pastor to convince you. God has already shown you. And now the question remains, what will you do? It's almost like even tonight, God is saying, step outside of your tent. Maybe you have a tent of, maybe the, the tent of your life is what the culture says. Whatever's popular in the culture, that's the tent you live in. God says, I want you to step outside of the tent of your culture. Maybe it's an identity that you've developed over the years. Maybe you've taken on an identity. Maybe you like to identify with a particular group of people, and that's the tent that you're in. And God's inviting you to come outside of your tent. I want you to look up for a moment and just count the stars. Count my handiwork. I want you to consider how vast I am in your life. You, you've limited me by the tent that you live in. You've limited me by the ways you're choosing to deal with the imperfections of your life and the difficulties in your life. You, you're trying to hide them. You're trying to bury them. You're trying to ignore them, adopting new identities to run from them. And God says, no, I want you to come out of the tent and I want you to look up and I want you to know I have promised you that if you believe in me, I'll count it to you for righteousness. I mean, it wasn't too many years ago that I was in the tent. And then my tent had many names, partying, drunkenness, stupidity, drugs, checking out in life, selfishness. I mean, you, you wonder what the sign, you're like, Ed, you were messed up. I'm even worse than you realize of how bad the sign over my tent. I needed a neon sign, like one like billboard of just where I lived my life to run away from God. 
And you could have come to me dozens of times and say, stop running from God. And I would say, I don't want anything to do with your God. I'm happy in my tent. And yet internally, if you caught me on a bad day, I would say, I'm not so happy. This isn't really working out the way I thought it would. It's really not giving me the satisfaction and the fulfillment that was promised in that tent. And it was an invitation to come out like Abram gets here. And and it's like God just says, come out, come out, look up and believe. Because if you believe me, I'll account it to you for righteousness. I will forgive you of your sins. You will be a changed person. It will be according to my word in your life. So notice in verse seven, he says, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And Abram responds, Lord God, how shall I know that I inherit it? And so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, and he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now that's an interesting response. Bring me the animals and sacrifice them to me. God declares that he's the one that brought him out of Ur of Chaldees. If you look from Abram's, Abram's life, he left the tent of his family and he went and he moved. Now he's in the tent of his house and God's bringing him from tent to tent. And another way of looking at that in your life is God is bringing you from glory to glory and strength to strength, that you're on a journey of spiritual growth, growing in him. And Abram asked this interesting question, just looking. I want you to notice again in verse eight, I don't want you to judge Abram here. He's like, what is your problem, Abram? Like, don't you know how the story ends? He doesn't, not yet. He doesn't know how the story ends. So his question in verse eight, how shall I know? How shall I know? He's wanting more assurance from God. And you know, there are people around us, they just need more assurance. You would think by now they crossed a threshold where you have full assurance, but they don't yet. And it's really important that you learn to walk in the spirit with those around you, that you don't look down too much on people that need more assurance. Even the Bible, even John, when he's writing in 1 John, the letter of 1 John, he says one of the reasons he wrote it is so that you might know that you know you were saved for assurance. And so even Abram, the father of faith, needed more assurance. And, and there are those times in your life and mine, many times personally, where I want and I desperately need my faith strengthened in the Lord. I need, I've been walking with the Lord for 31 plus years, and still there are seasons where I need the assurance that comes by faith. I think of the apostles. Uh, Would you turn over to Luke chapter 17? These are men that are living with Messiah. They can touch him and hug him. Jesus is teaching them, with them, eating with them, hanging out with them. And notice in verse 1 it says, It is impossible that no offenses should come. This is Luke 17, verse one, Luke 17. It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, again, as Bible teachers that we are, we often talk about the math here and all the things that it relates. But I want you to know how the disciples heard this. They didn't reduce it to a math equation. They didn't reduce it to getting out a calculator. They heard the teachings of Jesus here, and this was their response in verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Can you imagine walking along with the teachings of Jesus, and there are times when he gives you an instruction and your only response is, I need more faith for this. Increase our faith. And Jesus then gave, gave an instruction. Well, it's not about how much faith you have. You have. If you have just a little bit of faith, you can move mountains. It's about your proximity to me. And Abram, he just wants assurance. And God wants to give you assurance tonight. He wants to encourage you guys listening on the radio or watching online. You're not a substandard Christian wanting more assurance. You want more assurance? Ask God and he will give you more assurance. You want your faith established? Ask God and he will establish your faith. Do you want strength for the moment? God will respond to you. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Well, He's also given this instruction that there's something practical to take place. Abram was familiar with the ingredients of ancient contracts. In the, it was the presence of blood that would get the verbal terms of the agreement and both parties would agree to the terms. Notice in verse 12, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. That's prophetic of Israel's time for 400. It's kind of a round number, 430 years in Egypt. It's a prophetic word from God. It's not unusual for God to predict trouble up ahead. I mean, that's one of the ways that God throughout the Old Testament would send prophets warning of impending judgment and calling to repentance. And I also think as I was looking ahead in our Bible studies through the book of Acts, looking ahead to chapter 9, God even warned Saul of Tarsus when he was born again of the many things that he would suffer for his namesake. And even on his way to Jerusalem, later on in his ministry, he would warn Paul, you're going to die in Jerusalem. It's not going to be easy for you there. And Paul said, hey, I'm going. God both wants me in Jerusalem and wants me to suffer for his namesake. So here... He's prophetic in verse 14, the nation whom they serve, I'll judge. Again, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, just jot it down. He's speaking of Egypt here. And they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So a deep sleep comes upon Abram here. It's interesting that God is paralyzing Abram in the setting of terms for this contract or this covenant. Normally, it was necessary for both parties to walk through and repeat the terms together through these animals. 
But here, God is making a deal with Abram, and Abram has nothing to do with it. It is a covenant that is dependent upon God and God alone. We call that an unconditional covenant. God is making a promise that he will fulfill. God will follow through with his terms with no conditions, no strings attached. Then he says in verse 16, in the fourth generation they shall return there for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites lived in Canaan and they were exceedingly wicked people. They had been there for 400 years and yet God says the children of Israel would return because the iniquity was not yet full. Now this is another proof of God's patience with man because he gives chance after chance after chance. One of the difficulties men and women have with the Bible is the utter judgment of God, especially upon those that were in Canaan, the Amorites being one of them. There's always the focus on the judgment of God, the judgment of God. How can God bring such judgment? But the real question needs to be, how gracious is God to wait 400 years and four generations waiting for repentance? We look at the requirements of God. How can God, how can a God of justice and fairness require me to surrender and sacrifice my life in order to follow him? Why would he be so strict? Why would he require so much? But the question is asked in the wrong way. The question isn't, why would God have these requirements upon you? The question is, why won't he judge you right now? Why is God being so gracious with you? Why is he being so patient with you? Why is he waiting Oh, for you, perhaps not four generations, but maybe you're the fourth generation in your family that God has waited upon, waited upon, waited upon for someone in your family to repent. The Amorites had 400 years to change and turn before Joshua would return and lead the people into the promised land. They chose death and not life. And today, if you reject Jesus Christ, you choose death. You choose rebellion, and God will hold you to your choices. He will give you what you choose. He will not force you to follow him. He will not force you to bend the knee. He will not force you. He gives you the freedom in every sense of that word to choose this day whom you will follow. Well, in verse 17 now, it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there was a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. You know, Folks that like to do this, they did all the measurements here. It's about 300,000 square miles of land that's being promised to Abram and his descendants. And even at their peak, the nation of Israel only occupied about 30,000, only 10% of all that God has promised them. And I wonder at times how much we've really walked into the promises of God in our own lives. Are we only 10%? Is that where we're at right now? There's 90% more awaiting you to walk in by faith. There's 90% to step into and say, I've got this for you, son. I've got this for you, daughter. The Girgashites, the Amorites, 
You know, they don't exist today. You won't find anyone say, hey, where are you from on, you know, Ancestry.com. I've got 100% Girgashite. You're not going to find that. Or 30% Amorites. Why? Because God keeps his word. The promise was not to them. They rebelled against God and thus disappeared. But Abram, a Hebrew, believed God and is known for all of eternity. And the heritage of the Hebrews lives on. And it reminded me in our own lives that we have one life to live and what will we do with it? Don't settle at the 10% level or the 5% level. You know, one of the encouraging testimonies that I get back from time to time here in the fellowship is when somebody comes and they've been here for, you know, six months or a year and they will describe their spiritual growth as something like, you know, pastor, I've learned more in the last six months or one year than I did here than I did in 30 years in my previous church. And that, that comes in a lot of different ways. And, and what they're describing is the value of how fast really God wants to mature you. It, it is not, I, I do believe it's a commitment that we have to God's word because that's faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's not because I'm some great teacher. You know, it's the gift of pastor teacher that comes through me or anyone else that stands in the pulpit. What that testimony is reflecting is that God really wants you to grow. He is for your spiritual growth. He wants you to go from 10% to 20% to 30%. He doesn't want you, and again, maybe you're listening on, from afar right now, and you're spinning your wheels in some church that doesn't teach the Bible, that isn't into your spiritual growth, and you're just throwing your life away even though you're in church. Maybe you're in a fellowship where you're very religious, and you go through the motions, and it's, that's it. You're just a very religious person. That's all you do. That's how you define yourself. But God, he has so much more for you if you'll just step in by faith. So much more. Will you invest your life or will you waste your life? That's the question that is before us in this chapter. God comes to you and says, I am your protection, your shield. I am your provision, your great reward. And the question remains now, what will you do under the protection and with the provision of God. He doesn't say he's going to give you something. He says, I'm going to give you myself. I'm your protection. And what will Jesus say later in John 15? Abide in me and I'll abide in you. Your exceedingly great reward is God himself. It's not his stuff. It's not his words. It's not his Bible. It's not your church family or your pastor or your leaders. Your exceedingly great reward is God himself. Don't settle for anything less. Walk in the fullness of the promises of God. Step outside of your tent and look up. Your redemption draws near. Amen? So good. Father, thank you for the reminder today of even just knowing there's a lot of difficulty and pain and shame and guilt and fear and anxiety among us. And it's so counterintuitive that your answer to us would be, I'm giving you myself. Have you forgotten that I am God? And how can we not say, yes, Lord, increase our faith. And tonight I invite you, wherever you might be, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to turn away from your sinful past. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to invite you to participate, to step into the story of God for your life by confessing your sin before God to God right now. So if you're here today and you're up you know, in this room right here, and you'd say, Ed, that's what I want. I want to follow God starting tonight. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. And I want to help you respond to that desire, that decision. Again, you might be downstairs or online or on the radio, wherever you might be. Uh, if I don't see you with my own eyes, God sees you. God bless you guys. Who else would say that's me? Today, in this moment, the work of God upon your heart. Can you say that God is your reward and your shield? And if not, who is your protection? And who is your provision? Where do you look to? You step outside of your tent, where are you exactly? Bless you in the back. I mean, who's going to take care of you? God has promised to be your provision. Pray with me, would you? I want to lead you in a prayer where you could talk directly to God and obey this verse. You could say this. God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I turn away from my sinful past and dedicate my life to following you today. And I pray that to you, God, in the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.